all the time. Where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. this film does our effort beat theirs here's Bo Nix guns it touchdown Oregon been making deposits time to cash the check sound at Austin which is deafening for an Oregon 15 point win Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school and we say Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. You are listening to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck. I'm Doug Scott. I am joined today by J-Hop, Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. Welcome back. We've missed you the last couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah. We've been trying to line up everybody's schedules, but we finally got something for you and I to get together. And and I know that, uh, you know, following, you know, our little bit that you'll have Andrew on, so it'll make for a, a very good and, and solid and strong and long episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so the listeners are clear, we'll have both uh, J-Hop and QB on in this episode. It'll be J-Hop and me first. And then QB and me after that, and we'll edit it all together into into one solid hour, hour and a half episode. So, unfortunately, you only get half half of Hop and half of QB, but you're stuck with all of me. So let's kick it off. I know we got limited time, so let's get into it. Um, big time juice posted up today on on ScoopDuck.com, Justin. I I know you don't want to give away all of the paywall information, but maybe a tease for us. Yeah, I just, um, you know, I, I think that the, the broad or generic cheese to, uh, tease, excuse me, to give away is just that we're kind of in that time of year where Oregon generally makes a recruiting run. And so they have eight verbal commitments right now. There's been some crystal balls and some on three predictions and some of those things kind of dropping uh, for recruits that the Ducks have been targeting here the last, you know, I would say week to two weeks. Um, and, and so things are definitely ramping up. We've got the spring game coming up on April 29th, which we're all very well aware of. Um, I know you've seen it, Doug, and I know you've paid attention, but that's probably one of the best early lists we've ever seen, you know, at Oregon, not just for a spring game, but, but really for, for any recruiting event. Um, so, you know, that's building a lot of excitement. And I guess maybe one of the, the big points in um, the juice that I talked about, and I, I always hate because you see recruits or commits. It's more mostly commits. You see commits or you see other media like Oregon's not done yet or, you know, whatever. It's like, well, yeah, no kidding. They're, they only have eight commits. They're going to get more commits, right? But um, <laughs> it's just kind of truly one of those times where the next two to three weeks is probably where you need to be paying attention. Um, you know, four-star cornerback Dakota Fields out of California, top 100 player. I can't recall if he picked up one or two predictions last week, uh, late last week to to Oregon. I put my own in on Sunday for him uh, to Oregon. 
um, as that one's quickly kind of becoming where the ducks are, are, are very far ahead and becoming almost kind of like a, a worst kept secret, if you will, using finger quotes there. So some really good momentum building. Um, we know that April 28th, the day before the spring game, four-star quarterback Luke Moga is expected to make his commitment. He visits the Ducks this upcoming weekend. So, you know, as you can see, some things are building, right? And and again, I'm not trying to give everything away, but there's some legitimate names and some legitimate things happening that um, instead of me just saying, Oregon's not done yet, well, of course they're not done yet, but it certainly looks like the next two to three weeks could bring somewhere, you know, I was trying to keep it generic because you never know in recruiting, but it looks like you could see three to six commitments taking place um, in the next three weeks, if things go right, and and the Ducks could be, um, they could be off and rolling. Pretty exciting. Yeah, and then if you really go back eight days now with Aaron Flowers, and you you say, okay, from the Aaron Flowers commitment on the the eighth until like let's say the thirtieth, right, the end of the month, two days after the or day after the spring game, you know, if you're looking at that three to six additional that you just mentioned, plus the three commits that Oregon has got, you know, this past week. I mean, that's really a run of, you know, anywhere from six to ten, six to ten new commits in a three-week window in April. So, you know, April has become one of the most important months in recruiting. Uh, you know, I think, you know, as we've moved into this kind of new era, right, and guys are committing earlier and earlier, guys are visiting earlier and earlier. And April is a great time because kids can come out and not just watch all the spring games around the country, but they can go to practices. And I think kids are starting to see the value in watching a practice, watching how the team operates, watching how coaches coach. And we're seeing that more and more. And I think even the guys that aren't going to commit, you know, to Oregon or anywhere else in the next three weeks, they're still, they're on campus and that's informing their decisions that are going to be made in the summer and their decisions on which schools they're going to take official visits to come June, July, August, you know, and, and beyond. So it's a, it's a hugely important month and we're just seeing, incredible momentum and, and you guys have been doing a great job of covering that over there. Well, and I, I think you're right. You make a really good point, Doug, and, and something that maybe, you know, uh, just somebody that doesn't dig into it every day doesn't realize. So, you know, you're, you're really working hard on getting these guys on campus as early as possible. So one of the things I outlined is how many um, very elite 2025 targets Oregon has had on campus now 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 those guys aren't going to make a decision right now right those guys won't make a decision until a year from now but your goal is to have them on your campus two three four five times however many times you can so that you're really kind of forging that relationship and so to your point maybe everybody that visits right now uh, isn't going to commit to Oregon but there's a lot of these high profile four and five star guys that typically don't commit this early in the cycle, but your goal is, Hey, let's get them on campus in the, maybe in the in December or January in the winter months, let's get them on campus in the early spring months. And then that really sets us up because a lot of those guys will take their official visits either in the summer uh, or possibly in the early fall that really sets you up to get one of those official visits. So that's kind of the game within the game, if you will. So I think that that Oregon um, you know, right now they're looking at potentially having three or four or maybe even five five-star prospects on campus at the spring game. Just to be frank, I don't expect any of those guys to commit. That's not realistic. But I also don't expect those guys to commit anywhere else in the next, you know, month or two. You're really just trying to get them here, let you experience, you know, Austin Stadium, 
um, watch your practice, watch a game, see kind of a game-like atmosphere so that if they do take official visits in, uh, you know, say June, or they do take them in early September or whatever the case might be, you're one of the five schools that gets one. And so I think the staff has really been methodical um, and strategic on a lot of this stuff. And it's really hard to say this. I try not to get too far out in front of stuff, but it sure feels like they are building towards one of the the best classes that we've ever seen at Oregon, uh, which really says something because Mario Cristobal raised the bar. And I felt like Dan Lanning last year, you know, was, was, was right there with the same, same bar as Mario Cristobal. Yeah. I mean, I think if you go back, you know, that 21 class kind of set the standard under Mario from a, recruiting rankings, you know, team ranking standpoint points, if you will, and some of the recruiting services. As we know, the way it's panned out, that class, you know, hasn't worked out as well, you know, in reality as it did on paper, you know, back then when it landed it. And part of that was probably due to that was the that was the COVID year class. So yeah. as a lot of people said at the time, and I think it turned out to be accurate, not just at Oregon, but across the country, is that you know evaluations were probably less accurate in that year, uh, but be that as it may, and now here we are, the twenty-three class under Lanning, his his first real true class, right? I mean, yeah, he technically signed the twenty-two class, but you know, as you all know, that transition class is really you're just trying to hold down the fort with the guys that the previous coaching staff had got to commit for the twenty-two class. You're trying to hold hold the line on those, add a few pieces. And Dan and company did a great job of closing the 22 class, and they did add a number of pieces in January and February. But really, the 23 class was his first one, and, and we saw, I mean, Oregon was the story on signing day, on, on early signing day in December, with the way they finished. And and I, I, I'm with you. I you know I've said this on, on the show. You know, QB and I both have said we think 24 is looking like it could be even better. So. Um, you know, that's what you need to do. You need to stack elite class after elite class. And, and, you know, what happens then is what happens at these other programs, these elite programs, and what we're seeing play out now that the, the transfer portal has opened yesterday, right? And Oregon has three guys in the portal already. There's going to be more. There has to be more. Um, but, you know, people get, I think people at Oregon are still, and certainly people in the rest of the Pac-12 are still trying to adapt and adjust to both kind of what's been more commonplace in the SEC for a longer period of time, which is you just stack talent on talent on talent, and then whoever doesn't win those competitions, it's not a loss when they go to the portal. I mean, sure, it's a loss in theory depth-wise, but it's not – I mean, you can't have everybody. Right, and that's what Alabama does, and that's what Georgia does, and that's what all these elite programs do. And I think people at Oregon and people in this conference aren't really accustomed to that. And then, of course, now in the in the portal era, with instant eligibility, it's only amped up even more. So those two things combined, I think, are are necessitating a a, a realization within this fan base that that this is not a negative. Like, you know. Sure, you you know, Jalil Tucker was a highly rated recruit. Keith Brown was a highly rated recruit who had some promising playing time at the end of last year and looked like he might be in the rotation this year. You know, those guys, you know, you wish them well. You hope they can go find a spot where they're going to be happier and, and maybe get more playing time and a chance to start and all the things they're looking for. But 
if they feel the, that they have to leave the program to do that, that's a good thing for the program. That means there's somebody better that beat them out that's going to play. Yes. No, you're, you're 100% right. And it's it's really hard to kind of like grasp that because, you know, as Oregon's kind of transitioned from this uh, school, this program that, you know, anytime you'd get a, a four-star committed, it was a big deal, right? And you want to hang on to them as, as, as long as you can. And, and now, you know, you've really, through the Mario Cristobal era, we've got to give him credit for that. You've transitioned into, um, you know, you're going to, if you want to play big boy football, you're going to have to process some guys. You're going to have to stack those classes, like you said. And, you know, you might take a chance or two on maybe some de- developmental guys some three-star guys that you think might fit what you're doing. Um, and, and maybe they don't pan out, but that's okay. Because like you said, at the mo- at this moment right now, through the transfer portal, I think the only two guys, if, if Dan Lanning was on this podcast and, and there was no risk of backlash, you know, and he could just be upfront and honest. If you said, Hey, Hey Dan, has there been any transfers uh, from Oregon? that have really kind of hurt the program that you'd like to get back. My guess is that he'd say maybe Dante Thornton and probably Maliki Matabal. Those are probably the two guys he'd like to have back. And that's going to happen. You're going to have some guys that don't stay and that's okay. But we're talking, you know, I've, I've mentioned two guys that one's a maybe and one's probably out of, I don't know how many have transferred 12, a dozen, 14, 15, whatever the number is. Um, you know, it's only a couple guys. So I think he's able to hang on to the guys that, that make this program better. And, and I, I would argue, I don't know that there's been anybody as aggressive and really as strategic through the transfer portal coming to Oregon as Dan Lanning. I think he's done a really good job of, of finding needs and filling guys that upgrade their talent at those needs I mean, I think, for example, if you're looking at the Keith Brown transfer, yeah, it's an in-state kid, and he was you know, pretty good on social media, so you wanted to root for him. And I get all that, and I don't, I don't think anybody wishes him ill, but at the same time, you've got to kind of look at that and see, well, he did bring in Justin Jacobs, who's looking like he could potentially be an NFL guy. So it kind of sucks that Keith Brown is leaving, but on the same hand, he has probably – upgraded that position so you know you just kind of have to look at it like a business as a fan you've got to try and do your best to look at it like if i was dan lanning what would i do well if i'm dan lanning my job is to get the best 22 kids on the field so that i can save my job you know because that's what we're that's what we're trying to do here so if you look at it and try and be objective like dan lanning uh, i'm certain that that's what he's doing doesn't mean he's going to go 100 percent. that's not quite possible some of these guys are going to leave for various reasons and it might be a guy or two that you'd like to have back. But overall, as long as you're not having this mass exodus of starters, you're probably going to be just fine. Yeah, I don't believe they've lost a starter yet to the portal in, in all of the transition that's happened since the end of last season. And I, like, I don't think everyone that's leaving is getting processed. I mean, I don't think Matavao got processed. I don't think I don't think Keith Brown got processed. I, I mean, I'm just guessing. But I think they would love to have him on the roster for this year. But... You know, the beautiful thing about the instant eligibility transfers is now you don't have to process as many guys. The guys can make their own decisions around, okay, I don't like where I'm at on the depth chart. Boom, I can go find somewhere else to play. 
And and that yeah. kind of makes it a little bit easier. And, and like you said, it's a business. It's a business for the players. It's a business for the coaches. It's this is the way it is now. The old days are long gone, and and people probably need to wrap their head around that sooner rather than later. Not just Oregon fans, but particularly West Coast football fans, because I think we've been way more insulated to to this for for a long time than than a lot of those in, in the other parts of the country have been. But um, you know, real quick, Justin, I know you're going to have to hop off here in a few, but. Going back to something you you started to talk about a few minutes ago with official visits, um, and news came down this week that they're, I think, either finalized or about to finalize the removal of official visit limits for players. So as our listeners need to be aware, the up until now, players have only been allowed to take five official visits to five different schools. And the rule that's being proposed or will be passed is that players have no limits. They can take as many official visits as they want. Uh, still only one per school, but they can take seven. They can take 10. I mean, they can take realistically as many as they can logistically fit in their calendar and that schools want to want to pay for a trip. What do you think about this? I, I've heard a lot of opinions, you know, on both sides of this. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Um, so I hadn't heard that. So you're, I've been busy. I've had, I've had a, a, a one soccer game and three kids basketball games today. So I've been uh, away from the computer a fair bit. And so you're getting my honest and upfront reaction to this. I'm so me as a person, just the way I am, I try and be methodical about things. I try not to be reactionary. I try and, and take something in and maybe, you know, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be about college football, but anything and, and try and think about it, think about the pros, the cons, um, and really trying to evaluate the impact of these things. Clearly, the NCA doesn't do things the same way I do, but that's okay. Um, I, for me, off the top of my head, this is a great thing for the student-athlete, right? I think being able to take as many visits as you want is great in terms of just kind of being applicable. I, I just don't see that it really changes much because oftentimes – you know, for me, I typically don't write a story uh, about a recruit that's dropping a list greater than five. Like if you drop a top five, I can get behind that list and say, okay, you got, you got five schools. Those five are all probably fairly in the mix. We all know usually two or three are, are head and shoulders above the other two. But, um, you know, when you drop me, if you're going to go take 10 visits, 15 visits, I, I don't know. I mean, what more are you really getting out of that? What what benefit is that to you other than taking more visits and being able to take your family more places? Um, through kind of my understanding, really, through kind of the adaptation of NIL and its many, many uses, because there's obviously no language about it to this point or very little language about it to this point. Most of these unofficial visits anymore are becoming very, very close to official visits. So in my opinion, the impact's going to be minimal. I don't think that we'll see kids taking 10 visits, 12 visits, 15 visits very often, um, you know, changing them to official. And it's my understanding that a lot of the rules are really allowing for like seven on seven coaches and some of these mentors and these other folks around the industry to really kind of adapt and bring recruits on campus fairly easily at a minimal cost, if you will. And I don't just mean this to Oregon, I mean this nationally. So again, to me, initial reaction, probably very minimal impact. 
I think it's good for the student athlete in the end. Um, I don't think it needs to be this um, infinitesimal amount of visits. It probably should be capped somewhere. But uh, again, I, I, I'd really kind of rather see them kind of hone down on NIL and maybe just the structure of NIL and the limitations of NAL versus some of these other things that the, they really seem to be working on. So I guess that's my uh, <laughs> yeah, long-winded good, good reaction. Good luck on the NIL front. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, yeah, the genie's out of the bottle. We're not going back on that one. I get it. Yeah, but. I think that's why that's why the NCAA is, is leaning so heavily on Congress right now. That is the only entity that can do can attempt to do anything around NIL that, that would be meaningful, I think. I think the NCAA knows that there's really nothing they can do to cap or curtail or, and it's a bit of a mess to be honest. Right. I mean, and this is, you know, not to toot my own here horn here, but you know, I mean, you'll remember several years ago, day hop when this, and every time this con this conversation would come up on scoop duck or anywhere else, I was always one of the people saying like, look, I'm not necessarily, I'm not against players getting paid, but this will not, this will turn into just unfettered pay for play. And that's exactly yeah. what it is. That's exactly what yeah. it is. Like, let's call a spade a spade. And Oregon's, look, Oregon's got one of the best NIL programs in the country. So, like, it's great for Oregon. It's great as, a, you know, as an Oregon fan. Like, we're, we're holding our own NIL just fine. But as a college football fan and as a fan of the sport, like, this is, I don't think this is what a lot of people wanted. But it's exactly what was predicted by myself and a lot of other people because, Anytime you have boosters who have deep pockets and they want their team to win, like they're going to find a way to pay players, uh, you know, <clears throat> just like they always have and and they always will. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, you know, back to this, back to this thing. I think what what is unclear to me is if the number of official visits that each school is allowed to pay for is changing or not. Because if you have if you if you have an unlimited n amount on the player side, but you're Team amount is still the fifty-three or fifty-five or however, whatever, somewhere in that range. I don't know exact the exact number. Right. Um, if that doesn't change, it really, like you said, probably there's there's a there's already a limit on how many visits you know could theoretically given out. So I don't think this is going to be like you know all of a sudden life changing as far as like how many official visits start happening. I do think there'll probably be some well publicized cases of of a player here or the player there who lines up 10 officials or something crazy. Uh, but I think that'll probably be the exception rather than the norm. But I think with the one, the one area where it could have an impact, I'm wondering is if, if the players are like, okay, I've got a top 10. I want, I want it to take an official to all my top 10, but now the schools are sitting there going like, well, I still got a limit and you're asking me, I've got more players asking me to take officials. Now I wonder if, some of the schools have to then prioritize like who they're going to actually pay for an official for and who they won't. And that might give the player a signal, right? On, do I actually have a committal offer here? How bad does the school really want me? They won't trip me on an OV. They must not want me as bad as they want that other guy. So it'll be interesting to see that gamesmanship a little bit. No, that's a, that's a good point. No, I, I, I like your, I like your point And I like the fact that you brought up the, um, at least as we know it, schools are still restricted to the, you know, to the number of visits. There's a cap on the number of visits that they can have. And so does this change that? Because if it doesn't, it probably really doesn't change much of anything in the end. And, uh, and, and that's okay. I don't, I don't think official visits are really 
I do like that they changed that you could take official visits in the summer. I thought that was a great rule change yes. uh, a couple years back. I thought that I thought that made a lot of sense. Uh, this one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, and, and yeah, just so it's so college football. So I and going back, I was just like you, Doug, when they said you know NIL was coming, and all, I said in the the form that you're proposing, NIL is bad. It's really bad. Like it just, and it's not because I'm opposed like you, I'm not opposed to payers getting played, players getting paid. I'm just opposed to basically the free reign that you've opened up. It was literally like, let's just do NIL and we'll figure out the fine print after afterwards. And well, here we go. No, you didn't. And no, you can't now. So, um, you know, those, those things are, are very troubling and very frustrating, but uh, there's no way to change it back now. And that's okay. So we'll just kind of, kind of adapt it's college football is weird it's become if you think about it and this is totally on a tangent but if you think about it really all they've done is become more like the nfl where there really is no off season and if you were a recruiting fan there wasn't much of an off season anyways there was a little bit but there wasn't much of an off season if you're a recruiting fan but now even if you aren't a recruiting fan there's really not much of an off season because if you think about it the transfer portal and the transfers have always have, have it's always been different than recruiting right it's always been this separate category because those are players that you you know you you see on the game day roster you maybe seen them on the field here and there you're a little bit more attached to them the casual fan knows who jaleel tucker is but you know the casual fan might not know who luke moga is right Big difference. Right. You've got recruiting right. versus a team player. And so now if you think about it, really all the NCAA has done is done all these different things that have made college football more like the NFL where it's this year-round thing and, and, and equates to free agency and equates to just so many different parts of, of that that it uh, – I mean, I don't know that we could say that it's good or bad one way or the other. I know that people – like myself, revere change. We don't like change, and there's been so many changes. But who's to say it's been all bad, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's been a lot of good and bad that comes out of it. And I think if you look at it from a player perspective, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are you know make you know making money now that that weren't before, and I think that ultimately is a good thing. Um, but you know, what's the ultimate cost to the to the sport going to be? because of all this. And I don't, I don't think we know the answer to that yet. The, the interesting thing to me is the NIL side, like that got forced on the NCAA, right? Like, I mean, through lawsuits and everything else, like they had no choice. They had to basically just give up the ghost and say, okay, it is, it's out there. The interesting one to me was the immediate eligibility. Like that, I don't understand why they rushed into making that decision so quickly. There was not a court case that forced it. There wasn't, it didn't seem to be, real any serious pressure from regulators or lawyers or courts or anything that that was driving them to drop the one-year sit rule and and the fact that they instituted it almost simultaneously with nil i said it at the time and i still say it, like it's just it's head scratching to me why they rushed so fast maybe they feared a future lawsuit but they fought all of them so far like why is that the one that they just said yeah, we're going to roll over and let it happen. And uh, because I think that the two things happening at the same time have had a, a multiplying effect on each other, right? Whereas if you just would have had NIL, 
yeah, the high school recruiting would still have NIL going in, into it. And then the college recruits who do decide to hit the portal and either sit out a year or who are a grad transfer and don't have to sit out a year on the old rules, like they would still be getting NIL competition, you know, pay for play competition, you know, for their services. But the the rest of the portal churn and the unrestricted free agency that we're seeing wouldn't be there because now these guys have to sit there and evaluate, okay, do I want to leave and sit out a year at my new home or do I want to stay and stick it out and, and, and make maybe make something happen here or the next year with that, you know, so it's, it, that one is always, I've always struggled to understand why the NCAA rushed into that one so quickly. And I, I don't know that I'll ever know the answer. Yeah, no, um, no, you bring up a great point and it is kind of, I don't, yeah, Again, they continue to to seemingly make all these decisions with very little afterthought, right? And it gets frustrating. It's kind of like, hey, just take a minute to see what the implications of this thing will be. But, um, you know, we don't always get that benefit. But uh, along, and this is a way, like, if I was drawing a really big circle, this is a way big circle back. Uh, to your original question about the juice, you know, we started talking about the tra- I, another thing I touched on was the transfer portal. I know we touched on Keith Brown a little bit. Um, You know, obviously, Jaleel Tucker was mentioned. Trevin Ma'e, you know, has since hit the uh, transfer portal as well for Oregon. Um, Those were some of the things that I highlighted. But as well as, you know, I did get the sense and the feeling that Oregon was not done kind of dabbing into the portal, uh, transfer portal coming to Oregon. Um, So that was something that we kind of talked about in the juice as well. And uh, just that the fact that, uh, you know, once again, the big part being Oregon is about to probably go on a recruiting run, um, which is, you know, for me is always fun. Like that's always my, like I have just so much fun doing that and seeing the commitments and the reactions by the fans and, you know, being able to get some evaluations up there and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we're kind of coming to that time. And and I do feel, I don't know if you feel the same way, Doug, but I, I do feel that there is, um, there's probably as much excitement for this spring game as I've seen in a while. And it feels like folks are really, really intent on going to watch Oregon, excited to watch Oregon and excited to watch some of these new players. So um, I, I, you know, I like for me, I'm kind of personally excited about that because, you know, duck football is so much uh, funner to talk about when there's the optimism and and kind of the interest that, that I, I feel um, has kind of come back around here the last couple of weeks. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, I, uh, I'm super excited to go to the spring game. I hope there's a lot of Oregon fans there. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I think it's almost a certainty that, that Oregon's going to lose their, I don't know, 10 year streak, maybe more that they've led the conference in attendance at spring games, uh, by a, by a sizable margin. I think there's years where if you add up the attendance at every other every other Pac-12 uh, spring game, they still are less than the tennis at the Oregon game some years. But, you know, Dion, the excitement around Dion and, and Colorado has them has them over there pretty juiced up and good for their fan base. They need something to be juiced up about. They've been a, a pretty loyal fan base over there. They're, they're going to sell. They've sold out their stadium. They're probably going to have more people um, in attendance than Oregon. But I think, you know, Oregon can still put on a really good showing attendance wise. And we know, we know it will be good, right? It's just a matter of how good. So 
I know I'm super excited about it. I hope the other fans are, and everyone needs to get out to Autzen on the 29th and put on a good showing, not just for the team that's that's there, but like the incredible, incredible haul of recruits that are going to be on hand for that game. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I said this earlier, but it's going to be, you know, probably one of the biggest... I, I, I really feel like it, it's shaping up to be one of the biggest groups that, you know, Oregon's ever had. And I think that the, the key to that is, you know, you're in late April, which is a good time for recruits to visit. And once again, uh, just you might know, but I don't think anybody else is having their spring game that weekend. I mean, there might be some one off here or one off there that, you know, that, that nobody really talks about. But if you're talking about the Alabamas and the Georgias and the USC's and, you know, all of the big time schools, nobody else is having a spring game that weekend. So really, you know, kind of way to take advantage of being the only show in town, if you will. And, and I think there's some, you know, I think there's some really strong strategy. there, trying to delay it as late as you can into April. And maybe you didn't know this at the time, but it's been such a long, wet, cold winter that you're <laughs> maybe hoping for the sunshine to, to peak its head and that's really kind of feeling like the first weekend uh that it might do so i mean it was a decent weekend this weekend but you know it's supposed to rain again this weekend and i know everybody's kind of like man when's the sun going to come out to stay and um you know the spring game certainly shaping up to be a, a good weather weekend which which is big i know you think about it, it's like oh it's just the weather and it's like yeah it's just the weather but you think about a kid that maybe left texas or arizona or wherever they might come from and it was 75 degrees or maybe 80 degrees and, and had been nice for a couple of weeks already, you know, to come to Oregon and it's 60 degrees or 50 degrees and rainy and windy and cold, you know, that, that definitely doesn't help your cause. Uh, if you're Oregon and I recognize that it, that it rains in Oregon, I totally get that. But um, if you're trying to impress recruits, uh, it's, it's helpful when the weather cooperates. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that was a, I mean, last spring game was, was incredible. I mean, the weather was gorgeous. It was sunny. It was 70. It was warm. It was a beautiful spring day. We were tailgating in the parking lot. Good crowd. Uh, another great, a lot of recruits on hand. So, yeah, you know, it, it helps. It certainly doesn't hurt. Um, I know you're about out of time here, Hop. Is there anything else you want to touch on before you uh, head out the door and I bring in Andrew? Uh, I am, and I, I don't think so. I mean, just, uh, you know, kind of stick with the site. We've been, we've been uh, you know, doing our best to, uh, you know, Jared's been going to practices and trying to get as much as you possibly can from the limited windows of practice. And, and I totally understand why Dan Lanning does that. Um, and really, that's kind of the norm in college football. There's very few practices um, that are completely open anymore. And uh, anyways, you know, Jared's been doing a good job of staying on top of all that. But, you know, I feel like, um, you know, us, us at Scoop Duck, I feel like we've been doing a really good job covering recruiting and, and, and getting updates and, and, you know, staying on top of the, of the top list and, and, and trying to bring you guys some insight. Um, I recognize that this staff might not be quite as open as Mario Cristobal, but not as tight-lipped as Chip Kelly. So it kind of feels like, it's in between, <laughs> um, you know, but we've been doing our best to get that stuff out. So we appreciate the support um, and I'm excited to keep going with this podcast. And I know you and, and Andrew will have a few things to go over and, and give folks another, uh, you know, 30 minutes to 60 minutes of coverage here. But uh, no, I was glad we were able to, to get on and catch up and at least do a little bit of the podcast. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Justin. And folks, we will be right back after this message with QB11. Clayton is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> right when I start recording, you start laughing. Sorry. All right. That's all right. That's all right. Okay, and welcome back. I am joined now, as promised, by, by QB11. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you remember, we've already been recording for a half hour. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to start over again now. No, 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 no. Let it roll. Let it roll. This is good. <laughs> Andrew, QB11, thanks for joining. How are you? I'm doing good. Sorry I was uh, unable to accommodate there a little bit earlier timing today, but I'm glad that you were able to connect with Justin and, um, yeah, can go from there. No, it was good to have Justin back. I know or, you know, we missed him on the last couple of episodes, but now he's been back, and now we got you on, and we're going to have all three of us on this episode. As I, as I said before, the, the listeners have to put up with me for the whole episode, but they get a, they get a sprinkling of, of you and Hop to go along with it. So that'll, I mean, keep you're the most tolerable of the three of us. So I think that's fine. <laughs> I appreciate the, the compliments. So let's uh, jump right in. I, since we talked last about Aaron flowers, the new defense defensive back commit that uh, picked up, uh, that went to the ducks last weekend. We've now picked up two more commits since then, uh, which I think is the start of a little bit of a mini run that hop talked about a lot, the last segment. So, Talk a little bit about these two, if you will, QB. Let's start with the the, the offensive lineman, big dude out of Salem, Oregon, Trent Ferguson, 6'7", 300 pounds. Uh, not a super highly rated guy, as you would imagine. Apparently, he's only played four games of organized football in his life. So you've probably seen the film. What do you like about him, and why do you think uh, what do you think Oregon likes about him that they would take uh, go after him and take him right now? I mean, you like his frame and his athleticism, right? Like, he's not um, obviously a developed prospect at this stage. Uh, he's got a lot of work to do in order to, like, get himself. And this is this is genuinely true for offensive linemen prospects across the board, but uh, he specifically has a lot of work to do to get himself ready to play actual meaningful football at the college level. Just from a technical standpoint, learning how to play, learning how to play with a little bit better pad level, just getting stronger. Like if you haven't been playing football, you haven't been training for football. Right. So I don't know what his weight strength is strength conditioning um, situation has been over these last couple of years. So he's going to be a guy that's just gen genuinely pretty raw and a little bit behind. Um, and that's not a bad thing when you have a kid with his frame and his size potential. Um, I think you're looking at a kid with a very similar frame to someone like Shane Lemieux um, from obviously a couple of years back uh, out of Spokane and, I, I think that over time, it's probably not going to be something that pops right away. But again, you're you're projecting the frame and athleticism, and he seems to be a kid that's pretty passionate about football. Um, getting somebody who's genuine or generally um, just has such a huge frame and just so much natural athletic talent and, and size uh, and power, I think that like putting that in a situation where he's getting his first serious football training. Um, and the good thing is, is he does not going to have a lot of bad habits, right? Because he's, he's going to be pretty much brand new to football when he arrives on campus. Uh, so I, I like Trent Ferguson. I think that it's a, it's a solid upside play on the offensive line. I think if you're going to take chances on in-state prospects, the offensive line is the best place to do it. Um, specifically when they have all the requisite frame measurables that you're looking for. And so um, long-term, I think he projects better at guard than tackle. Just based on what I've seen, I, I think he's a good athlete for a guard, but 
Um, doesn't have the lateral redirection athletic body control that you'd want from a tackle. And I think that Oregon should be able to recruit a higher level athlete to play tackle. So uh, again, I think very much like Shane Lemieux, like I think if, if everything goes well, that's who you get. Um, but we've also had a lot of guys with this frame not pan out. And so it's just a matter of um, really like Ferguson himself has the ultimate um, control over what's going to happen. Like if he commits himself and works hard and, takes the coaching and coach Terry, this is a good opportunity for coach Terry to show what he can do. All right. So let's move on to the other side of the ball. Now, uh, Oregon picked up a flip commitment, uh, four star defensive lineman out of St. Louis, Missouri. He actually had committed to the Missouri Tigers in, in March, came out to Oregon on a visit. He was here the previous weekend, you know, kind of over the, the same period of time, the coaches clinic was on the 10th, 11th. Uh, he's a 6'6", 295-pound kid out of Missouri. Had, Like I said, had been committed to the Tigers, flipped his commitment to Oregon just a couple of days after being on campus. So um, what do you like about Tion Gray? I just think like, when you take Tion Gray in a vacuum, but then you also add it to like the class that was established last year on the defensive line, you're getting a kid with really good length who's got good proportionate like size, so he's thick from head to toe. He's not a guy with like skinny legs who can't sit down and anchor. Um, and he's a he's a good athlete, right? Like he's he's not the most physically developed. Like he's 295 pounds and he carries it super well, but you can tell that there's substantial room for physical growth still. Um, and so with a guy like Gray, it's a matter of like where does he fit? And I think ultimately it'll be on the inside. Uh, I think he's going to be a block eater, a two gapper. Uh, and I think that for that role, given his length and his size currently, I think he's going to be a guy that has like projectable athleticism. So um, really excited to see what he can do and what he looks like. But I think that adding him to that classroom last year with Green and Bowen and uh, Amari Washington and all those guys, like this is just another big body with a good athletic skill set uh, and a projectable frame. And it's like this room is going to look very different here in the next couple of years than it's looked traditionally in the past. And so um, I think stacking the right types of body types, rare body types from a part of the country that those body types are a little bit more common is the name of the game here. And so getting a player like Gray early in the cycle, who's got like really good talent and measurable in te- measurable size sets you up to be really picky now as you go and try to get one or two more on the interior of the defensive line for the rest of the cycle. Yeah, you mentioned Johnny Bowens, and I'll just touch on him a second. You know, uh, Coach Tony Tuiati posted a picture today of all of all of his guys, all of his D line guys, and like you just look at Bowen, and he just he, like he just looks different, right? He just looks like his, his shoulders are so broad. He's just like he's a massive human being in in all the right ways, and and you and look, even you know, you just compare him to other guys that are even on the, the Oregon roster still or used to be on the Oregon roster over the last five years. And I'm talking about, you know, guys that are good players. Like, I no knock on any of them. But, like, that dude looks like an interior defensive lineman. Yeah. I mean, I the thing is with him, too, is, like, he's on the smaller end, right? Like, like he's got broad shoulders and a pretty big frame, but he's likely going to be a guy that probably flexes out more in those wider um, wider techniques, similar to Brandon Dorless. Um and like comparing him to a guy like Pomee uh, or um, Amari Washington or Terrence Green, he's actually not all that big. It's like, that's, what's crazy. And I think that's, what's really impressive 
about what they've done because a guy like Bowens a couple of years ago would have been like the guy, right? Yeah. So, um, and now he's now he's going to be fighting with a bunch of guys to be the guy. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's got a great frame, big kid, um, and I'm just excited to see again what this room looks like in a couple of years. Like they've they've thinned out a lot of the fat in the room. Um, really, there is none left at this point. It's all incoming freshmen or guys that are that are contributors, and so uh, just continuing to build that room out uh, and stack good class after good class. Like I think that like the hit rate on the the types of players that Lanning is taking is going to be a lot higher than what we're used to on the defensive line. But even then, like you just have to take numbers. And so getting a player like Gray, who's probably going to be a 6'5", 320-pound interior player, um, who's going to be able to sit down and anchor and, and play down the line of scrimmage and have the athleticism to redirect off blocks, like that's what you want. And we just need to keep stacking those bodies. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. Um Let's move on. You want to talk about the tight end room a little bit in depth? There's only three, so it won't take us too long. Or do you want to uh, talk a little bit about like portal action first? Um, we can talk about the tight end room if you want. I think that it could kind of connect to portal action. Sure, absolutely. Let's start there. Uh, so as we continue our journey through each room in the roster, uh, the tight end room is one that is a little bit thin. There was, I think, some unexpected transfers, or at least one unexpected transfer out of that room that left the room, you know, probably at least one body short of where they would like to be going into the season. Of course, they have uh, the returning likely starter and, and really a guy who broke out last year, Terrence Ferguson. Uh, he'll be back. He he did. Sounds like he's a little banged up right now for spring. They're sitting him out, but sounds like by all accounts he'll be ready to go for for fall ball. So no long term concern there for Terrence Ferguson. And then behind him you've got Patrick Herbert, who's actually I think a year older, two, actually two cycles older than Ferguson. Uh, has battled injuries previously in his his Oregon career, but seems to be healthy now. Um, and and he's in the rotation. He'll factor in the rotation, particularly in probably multiple tight end sets or blocking downs and things like that. And then, of course, the incoming freshman from Idaho, Kenyon Sadiq, a highly rated kid, probably more of a pass catcher at this point in his career. He's going to have to spend some time, you know, over the next couple of off seasons bulking up to really be that every down tight end. But, you know, certainly shows a lot of promise and a lot of athleticism in the passing game. Um, so why don't you, you know, kind of go a little in depth on how you see that room and what you see as, uh, kind of the next steps there. Well, Ferguson's the guy, right? Like he's number one. Um, he's the best player in that room. He's the most experienced and he's the most well-rounded. He can do everything. Um, and this room that, like you said, there was attrition during the off season, losing Cam McCormick, losing Maliki Monteveo. Like those are tough losses, especially now with Ferguson's injury. Um, and so you're in a situation where you have Patrick Herbert, who has struggled with injuries mightily his entire Oregon career to this point. Um, not saying that he hasn't like been a contributor, but like he's also been pretty banged up. And then a true freshman who's more of an H-back, off-ball, detached player currently. So it's a situation where Patrick Herbert really needs to come of age quickly, um, and he also needs to remain healthy. And then Sadiq needs to like really – like approach this off season as if he's going to be like a key contributor because with the numbers in that room, he has to be like, this is the thinnest position on the team. Thankfully it's a position where um, there are ways for the coordinator to change maybe some personnel package tendencies to lighten the load for this room. But I think it's also a room that we could see um, a potential addition through the portal at. 
Yeah, I think we kind of got a little bit of a hint around that today with Coach Marringer, maybe more than a hint in his post-scrimmage remarks saying something that certainly made it sound like we're going to be looking to the portal and maybe maybe they even have some eyes on a particular player or two that they would be looking at in the portal, which, I, you know, you and I have talked about this on previous episodes, right? It's a room that really needs another body in it to go into fall, especially when you're talking about, you know, you got Terrence Ferguson who's banged up right now, um, Patrick Herbert who's who's had multiple injuries in his Oregon career, and then a true freshman in Kenyon Sadiq. I, I think you'd anyone would have to say you'd want to add you'd want to add to this room before you head into the into the fall camp yeah i agree i i think it's a room that'll be fine like i think adding one player is plenty and so and i actually think like we'll see who they go after and who they target but i think it's is it epps malcolm epps the player from usc i don't know if he landed anywhere yet um stylistically and skill set wise i think he's someone he's someone that could be a match um but yeah we just got to go out and we got to find that tight end in the portal uh because again guys get banged up and it may not be like a long-term injury but like having ferguson miss the rest of the spring here is should be a wake-up call right like you can't sit back and trust the depth that you have now because not every player you have is going to be available all season so um i think four guys minimum going into the fall would be ideal with ferguson hopefully being healthy by that point uh, and then really again like Maringer doesn't have any other choice but to really pour into Herbert and Sadiq and get those guys ready to go. And again, I don't I don't mean that like, oh man, we're stuck with these two guys. Like I think that especially as an inline player, I think that Herbert can be very good and I think that Sadiq's athletic prof- profile and skill set is pretty nuts. Like I think he's going to be a guy that makes a lot of plays this year. Yeah, it's it's interesting how in the era of the transfer portal, a position room can go from being stacked and and really deep to being thin you know, in, in one short span of a couple months over an off season or vice versa. Right. So, and this is a room where it's kind of gone the first way, right. It, it looked like as we were coming out of the bowl game, it looked like a really, really deep room. You know, you had, you had Sadiq in the fold and you had Herbert, Ferg, Matavao and McCormick all looking to come back. And next thing you know, two of them transfer out and you're like, Oh geez, we need another body. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And I'm glad that we have a staff that's proactive and they're not going to sit back and let things happen to them. They're going to go out and find guys to make it work. So um, I think it's going to work out nicely for Oregon. And again, just getting one experienced player with good talent. Like you don't, you don't want to compromise your standards, right? Like you don't want to go get somebody that you wouldn't take in a normal year or that you wouldn't take as a prep recruit. So hopefully there's some players that fit the profile in the portal now or hitting the portal soon. Yeah, and I'm think I'm wondering situation situationally, like in you know jumbo packages, short yardage scenarios. I mean, there's probably other people on the roster that play other positions that could be, you know, could be an H back or line up as a second tight end in a, in a very limited role in a, in a very specific package situation. If you really you know had to have that come fall, so there's ways to mitigate some of the depth issues. But you know, if you you're talking about true tight ends, yeah, I think they need another one and. And I think they're probably going to get one. Yeah, I think like having guys like Mateo and Jordan Birch and some of the guys on the edge, those bigger body, longer guys, they can come across and play. And so, um, like, you don't want to rely on those guys. That you want them to be able to focus on being the best defensive players they can be. Absolutely, man. I tell you yeah. what, I'm looking at this picture you were talking about earlier of two Yodi's group. That's a damn good looking group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. It uh, it. You compare that to like what that position group looked like even two or three years ago, 
under Joe and, and it's, yeah, that room has been transformed and uh, it'll be one, it'll be fun. We'll have to dedicate a lot more time to our, to the, our, on that episode when we cover that room, just cause there's so many people in it, but you're, you're hit on something earlier, right? I'm going down the roster and it's like, okay, you've got Popo, Doralis, Casey Rogers and Taki Taimani. All of these guys have one year of eligibility left. They've all been playing college football for five or six years. And then you've got Keon Warehudson, Jordan Birch, you know, similar, right? Just maybe one year behind that group. So that top six, that those six guys have played, have been out of high school for four to six years each. Uh, and then you've got eight guys who are freshmen. <laughs> That's the room. Yeah. Well, I think that one guy that we'll get to the defensive line, I'm assuming at some point here in the near future, but uh, one guy that we don't talk about very much is Ben Roberts. And I think that like when I was going back through and doing my postseason film review um ben roberts is a player as a true freshman who only really played in garbage time um but he actually had worked his way into some like worked his way into the rotation a little bit more down the stretch last year i think he's a player that like flashed in a very positive way and is going to be a good guy a really good player so like he's a guy i'm excited about that we don't talk about because he's buried behind casey rogers and Taki and popo and brandon doralis and keon Ware hudson and then you just have this group of these young guys, whether it's Roberts or Mel's or Pomee or you have Green and Bowens and Gardner and Washington. Like it is just there's just so many bodies in that room, um, and there's a lot of quality talent and, and quality depth. And so I think uh, I think it was mentioned by Lanning, or no, it was by Terry the other day when he was during his media availability that that's the strength of the team. And I I agree, like it has to be the strength of the team. Yeah, there's it's, so much. It's so so much depth. There's so much depth and talent, and there's so much experience, right? It's like, how do you not have a really good group there? Yeah, I, okay, I'm calling it now. We're going to cover the defensive line on our next uh, our next episode, QB. That works. So we will we will That's definitely a group dive. I really, I'm looking forward to talking about. So yeah, we'll have a lot of time to talk about that. We'll make sure we carve that out for the next episode. But I think I do have a prediction, real quick, on this front. Much like this off season, the narrative around Oregon being. Oh no! They have to replace four offensive line starters. They're going to be, they're going to struggle, you know, which is surface level stuff. But once you dig in deep and you realize how many of the offensive line guys actually have played a, a metric ton of football that are that are going to be quote unquote new starters for Oregon this year, and similar on the defensive line, you're going to hear this narrative next year. Oh no! All these guys are gone. Oregon's going to replace all these dudes. Yeah, but they got eight blue chip freshmen who are all going to get their chance at playing time this year. Uh, you know, they're reloading and they're reloading with the time, you know, to give guys, you know, chances to build their bodies and build their experience behind the Doralises and Popos and Caseys and Takis of the world. And I, I, I'm not really worried about this position even after those guys leave because that's why. We've been recruiting it so well and so heavily the last two cycles. Well, and it helps that you have guys like Tavita and Bowens and Gardner on campus already, right? Like that, like those guys are getting a head start. And then you got, was it three more? You got Green and Washington. And, and Porter. Yeah, yeah, and Porter. I think ultimately he'll end up on the edge. But, um, yeah, and Porter coming in here in the fall. <laughs> so it's like just like an embarrassment of, of talent and depth. And then obviously – Really looking forward to seeing in the spring game what Roberts and Mel's look like because those are guys that have gone through some transformative body makeovers and it's and they should be in a position now um, to start showing some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, let's Hop and I talked about the portal a little bit, but I wanted to get your read on things as well. So I'll, I'll kind of let you talk a little bit more. But obviously, Oregon had three portal departures already um, once it opened yesterday. So the the big probably surprise for a lot of people was linebacker Keith Brown entering the portal. Um, the other ones being defensive lineman um, Trevin Mae, and then um, a defensive back. Jaleel Tucker. So those are the three that went to the portal. You know, talk a little bit about your thoughts on on this. And obviously, Oregon now is at 88 scholarship players, so three over the limit. With probably at least two more transfers coming in, so you got to figure there's probably five more that still need to go as well. Yeah, I think. Well, maybe at least one more transfer, right? Just a tight end. Well, it's thinking Derry Bryant Jr. is still out there too. Oh shoot! Yeah, you're right. Two more. Good lord. Um. Yeah, so I guess we'll just start. I'll start with Tucker. Like, I think Tucker not being able to come in and kind of push for – I didn't expect him – like, Jalil Florence was the better prospect coming out. He was the guy that was going to be more ready to go physically. Tucker was pretty skinny. But, like, not being able to pack on weight and then not really being able to push guys like Barkins and Dickerson for snaps, um, probably not the best sign in the world long-term because now you have Solomon Davis and Cole Martin coming in. And then in the fall, you have Roger Pleasant and Dalen Austin coming in. Right. So it's like that room is really, really competitive and really talented. And if you're not cracking it now after with a year head start, the odds of you cracking it in the future are very low. So um, I hope that he finds a good spot. I ultimately think his best, he might be best off switching to the offensive side of the ball, wherever he ends up. Um, I think that because of the way that, tackling at the corner position is emphasized by this staff being undersized and not the most physical guy in the world probably is not going to work very well um and so we'll see like i i wish i wish him nothing but the best again with any of these players like we want them all to be successful um when with trevin ma it just makes sense like we we were just talking about the defensive line room like where does he fit into that rotation like he's an upperclassman who just keeps getting heavier but unfortunately as he gets heavier his mobility just kind of continues to decrease. And so like, where was he going to fit into this rotation with so many talented upperclassmen? Um, And then just so much like, or so much experienced upperclassmen, but then so much raw explosive talent with the young guys. Um, And so I think for him wanting to play football, it makes sense for him to go maybe come on down here and hang out with Dilly for a year and, play play for the sun devils like get go somewhere where there's a need for some size because he is a strong kid and i think that now that he's up to about 290 uh with his length he can present some value to somebody but with oregon's quality and and depth on the defensive line i like that that move was the most obvious one coming into the spring um and then finally keith brown and that's uh that one's a little bit more surprising because like i expected him to be I mean, you and I had just broken down the linebackers, I believe a couple of weeks ago, we talked about like, there's the top five guys in the linebacker room. Um, and he was one of those guys along with Hill, Soul, um, Bassa and Jacobs. And so I think now um, we're looking at a situation where it's been, I think it's pretty clear that it's going to be Bassa and Jacobs as the starter. And so where was Brown filtering in with the other two? in the second group because I've actually heard a lot of good things about Connor soul so far through camp. And he's a player that I really liked on film coming from Arizona state. And so uh, I wish Keith nothing but the best. I hope he finds a good spot and gets a lot of playing time, but how, how much of this decision to take off 
I mean, he wasn't obviously a player that was that was like pushed out. They would have liked to have had him, but how much of this decision by him was dictated by depth and um, rotations? Yeah, no, spot on. That's kind of what I said earlier. I I think, you know, if if you're a guy who's you know in your third year and you want to, you think you you want to be a guy who's starting and playing a lot of reps and and you're looking around the room and you see you're out of scrimmage and you see and I, I don't know I wasn't there I don't know who played how many snaps and who was starting and who wasn't but you know just thinking generically right if that's the if that's the way you're looking at things as you only have so many years of eligibility right you only get four. So if you're in year three and you're looking around and you don't like where you're at on the depth chart and like, I mean, it's a business decision, right? Like, do I want to stick around, fight for, you know, the fourth, the second, the second string job or the, you know, the fourth linebacker in the rotation? Or do I want to maybe try my chances somewhere else where I can really play a lot more and try to earn myself, you know, a paycheck down the road? And, and I get it. Like, I get that for Keith. If that was, you know, his thinking i get that for any player and and that's kind of the you know the portal world we live in it goes it goes both ways now right like coaches can bring in not just high school talent recruiting over the top of of the current players on the roster but they can also bring in portal talent to recruit over the top of the players on the roster and and that was a quote that mario said years ago when he first got here is it's it's my job to bring in a guy that's better than you and it's your job to beat him out right and that's that's so much more true now than it ever was because of the portal and and then that means that those players who, you know, who, who lose that competition, if you will, or who don't end up in the spot on the depth chart where they want to be or think they should be, then they have that option to go look for, for time somewhere else. And, and I just think that's the, that's the reality we all have to continue to adjust to. Yeah, I, I don't want to be insensitive. Like, I thought that Keith made a big jump, actually, from his I know. freshman year to his sophomore year. Um, I thought he was playing a lot better last year. Like, I thought he was more mobile. He looked faster. Um, I, my big concern with him coming out of high school was I thought he was a little stiff. Like he was a wrestler um, and he was like pretty explosive in a straight line, but his like his, his ability to make lateral adjustments on the go um, and fit were not the best. And I thought that he was kind of starting to turn a corner last year, but again, like that's all great and, and, and everything. But if someone like J- Justin Jacobs comes in who turned the corner a long time ago and is now like a legitimately really good player, or Connor Soule or Jeffrey Bassa putting on some additional weight and kind of already being a better player. Like that's, there's going to be limited reps. And I think that the linebacker room is the room that even moving forward in the recruiting class is going to be a room that gets a lot of attention. I don't think that the staff is satisfied with the way that that room is composed. Uh, And I think that that's a a room that is going to kind of be a bottleneck for this defense until this 2024 class gets signed. I think that's a good way to say it. I mean, the the defense will go as far as the linebacker, and this is kind of an obvious statement, right? Because the linebacker unit's always, you know, the heart and soul of a defense. But I think, particularly in Oregon's case, right? Like we talked about the defensive line. I think the defensive backfield is another. I mean, quite honestly, I think it's a strength of the team. Maybe it's not. It's you know, it's lacking that like headliner guy at, at both levels of the defensive backfield. But I think that the talent is there, and I, I think it's going to be a unit that performs you know, at a above average level in, in this conference for sure. So it's really the linebacker core that's going to decide how this defense looks. Like we always talk, I, you know, I like to rate things on a scale of one to seven. Like if we can get the linebacker room performing at a, at a, at, 
a baseline four, but a five, like really when it matters this season, like that is substantially better than what we got last year, right? Yeah. Um, and so I mean, it was what a two last year. Yeah, two or three, like a three we, maybe. Yeah, there, just, we, there was no consistency. Guys weren't getting to the right spot. The guys that did get to the right spot, in the case of Bass, were getting ran over because they weren't carrying a big enough stick. So, um, do you want to uh, take some listener questions to end this sure. though? All right, Sounds I think we good. got a few. Or is there anything else you wanted to cover first? No, I, I feel pretty good about what we've covered so far. Okay, great. Uh, we got a few out there. These are always fun this time of year. People always, and a couple of them are right on topic as well. So we'll start with one of those. Eric Schoenbach asks us, who's the best tight end out there in the portal that Oregon could go after? You might I mean, have answered this already. I mean, yeah, but that's to be fair. Like He's the one I know of, but I haven't watched every tight end in the portal. I don't even know all the tight ends. I, I don't think I could name a second tight end in the portal right now. Yeah, and I think also you have to think there's going to be a lot more tight ends that probably enter and every position that probably enters the portal over the next couple of weeks. So the, the guy that Oregon ultimately goes after may not, may not yet be in the portal. Yeah. Hopefully we can tamper and go get a really good player from somewhere. I mean, everybody's tampering, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? I don't know. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> Just still Brock Bowers. Yeah. Let's go. go. Let's go get him. Yeah. Throw him a bag. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, couple of wide receiver questions, or maybe one wide receiver question. With the amount of wide receiver talent we are stacking, could we see some form of an air raid offense like Stein has hinted at? No. Okay. So Yeah, no. <laughs> let me address something. Cause this Thank you. Me. You do it before I do it. Yes. said this a lot. Okay. The air raid is an offense. Now, if you're thinking that we're going to throw the ball a lot more and play a lot smaller personnel groups, like play 10 personnel, meaning one running back and zero tight ends, which means that there's four receivers on the field, then yes, I think Oregon's going to throw the ball around a lot more. You have a veteran quarterback, you got a deep and talented room of receivers, and you've got a pretty a relatively thin tight end room, um, at least as it stands today. The air raid is is an offense. Like it, Oregon is not going to run an air raid. Oregon is not going to do jump sets on the offensive line and run three or four concepts against every coverage. And that's all we're going to do is throw the ball every, every play. Um, now, obviously, there are air raid concepts in every offense. For instance, we ran a ton of mesh last year. Mesh is originally an air raid concept, but it's, it can also be incorporated into other types of offenses. Oregon is never going to be an air raid team. I tell, as long as Dan Lanning is the head coach, we are not going to be an air raid team. Um, and maybe like, air raid is kind of a buzzword that they're using with some recruits to talk about, like, our our wanting and our desire to have a really talented and deep and explosive receiver room and throw the ball all over the yard and that's totally fine but like i think it's really important to understand the difference between like taking the next step as an offense to be more explosive and to throw the ball vertically more often and actually running an air raid offense because it's those are two very different things yeah i think sometimes people get caught up in taking things too literally, right? I think there was a wide receiver recruit that was quoted as saying Stein, Stein said he wants to run more air raid or something. And, and I think I'm looking at it going, okay, that could mean Stein absolutely in the way that you described could have said said the word air raid in the way that you described it. Doesn't mean we're converting to an air raid offense. Or very or another 
real possibility is that Stein just talked about throwing the ball around a lot, and the and the receiver is the person who turned that into the word air raid in, in before he gave whatever interview he gave, right? So I think sometimes you have to take these quotes a little less literally and a little more with the right tech context and nuance that, that probably is where the important important part of the quote lies. I think that dives into the next great question we have about wide receivers. Um, or, or maybe I'll just follow up this with, with the wide receiver talent we are stacking. So, I mean, we are sta- Oregon is stacking a, 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 an embarrassment of riches, just much like we are talking about in our defensive line. And, and last week when we talked about the running back room, uh, the wide receiver room, although it, it is not large this current season, um, given the commits that are already in the fold for 24, as well as potentially a guy like Gary Bryant Jr., potentially some of the other receivers that Oregon is getting crystal balled for in the 24 class or, or is in the final list for, right? I mean, this is going to be a very good room. Uh, it is already a very good room, but it's going to be a very good and very deep room, uh, very talented and very deep room going forward. So I think it makes a lot of sense to utilize that talent and to tell those kids that you're going to utilize them. Yeah. Okay, next question, kind of back to the linebacker situation. With the departures we've had, is the linebacker position a concern? I mean... I guess it's not the deepest room in the world. I think you have four guys that can play. Maybe, maybe you can find a fifth um, on the current roster, whether it's Devin Jackson or Jerry Mixon. Um, I just think that we're going to see a lot more multiple personnel groupings defensively, and so I think that you'll only ever see two of those guys on the field at the same time together. Um, and I think that when we do sub packages, having guys that are more specialists like Jamal Hill um, and Justin Jacobs, who are both really good in coverage, uh, and then also having a little bit more depth at defensive back to go deeper and run more dime uh, will be beneficial to Oregon. And I also think, again, you have a ton of defensive linemen <laughs> and you could rotate those guys and you've got a pretty deep bedroom as well. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess you'd like to have, uh, you'd rather have Brown than not have Brown in the rotation. Um, but is it like does that destroy our depth on on that linebacker? Not not particularly, as long as guys stay relatively healthy. I mean, if any team loses two or three guys, they're going to be in trouble. Um, so yeah, well we'll see what happens. Like I would rather have another guy or two, but I don't think four is thin. Yeah, I, I'm with you. There's seven. There's still seven scholarship backs in the room. I think you know with that Bassa Jacobs. So well, and and Hill as your four that are probably going to gather all of the meaningful reps um, between those two spots. I think you're fine, like you said, as long as you don't have two of them down with significant injuries, right? And then you really with Mixon and and Jackson and Taggart. I mean, these are guys who are going to play in garbage time. Maybe give you you know a few reps here or there, and and if one of them can can get to the point where they're they're playable this season, then great. Um, I don't see this as a position that Oregon's probably going to go out and hit the portal in, um, because again, you're you know you're not going to go out and get a guy just to be a fifth linebacker, right? So uh, that that doesn't really make any sense with with probably what you're bringing in in the future in the, in the 24 class. I think if you're going to go get a linebacker from the portal, you're, you'd be getting a guy that you would expect to to compete for a starting job, 
you know, and take a job away from Jacobs or Bassa. And, and I just, I don't see that as likely that either they're available or that Oregon would get them. Yeah. All right. One final question, QB, and then we'll uh, wrap this one up. Sounds good. Um, what is the question? Okay. Are we going after Bear Alexander, uh, Georgia defensive lineman, entered the portal, making a lot of buzz, had two sacks in the national championship game? Are we going after him? Um, yes. Uh, at least according to Justin's juice today. Uh, I don't know the insight on that. It seems like he's already kind of have his, his destination picked out with USC, kind of similar to the Jordan Addison situation a year ago. Um, again, Oregon's in a position where the last thing they need to do is add another interior defensive lineman. But Bear Alexander would probably walk in and be the most talented guy in the room day one. So... Um, I think he would obviously make room for a player of that caliber, uh, but he's not a need. And so I almost wonder, like when you're looking at like NIL and like resource distribution, does it make sense that like he is a, an upgrade? A mar- there's a marginal improvement when you have him in the lineup over some of the other guys that we have. And I, I don't want to downplay that, but given the fact that our baseline um, – activity and production on the defensive line is already pretty good. Like, is that a good use of resources when you could go out and use that money and get a five-star edge player in the 24 cycle? Yeah, probably not. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think he's worth targeting. And I think that, I mean, obviously landing knows that Um, as much as I love guys like, like Taki and uh, Popo, like Bear Alexander is just a better player than they are. So if you can get him, Go get him. Well, and what we've seen with the staff and Lanning and is it doesn't matter what the room looks like. If they see an upgrade out there that they can go get, they're going to go after him. And and that's really the you know that's the that's the Alabama model. That's the Georgia model, should. right? You like you're that's not going to pass up on opportunities yeah. to get better. Right, right. You're not going to like oh you know what we we brought in this guy in our in our last class and we really like him so we're going to just roll with him instead of the guy we think's better. Like that's not, it's not the way, it's not the way teams who want to win championships treat the roster. Nope. So I don't want him to end up at USC. I'd much prefer he ends up at Oregon, but it seems like he's heading to USC. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly looks that way by, by all the tea leaves. And I know Texas was trying to get involved as well, but uh, yeah, uh, like you said, sometimes these guys come out of the portal and they already know where they're going and it's already determined. And this may be one of those cases. Yeah, this seems to be one of those cases. It certainly does. Well, Andrew, that's a that's a wrap for this episode. Anything well, else you pleasure. got? I uh, no, I just thank you, Doug, for being the flexible stud that you are and making it work with both Justin and I's schedules this weekend. Um, I'm really hoping that next week we can all get on for the full hour and record together. But once again, like thanks for being the glue that keeps this whole thing together. Yeah, we'll make it happen, my friend. And, uh, yeah, follow up on scoopduck.com to see all the news during the week. Make sure you get to the spring game at Oregon at Autzen Stadium on the 29th. We want a big crowd there. And uh, certainly follow us on Twitter at QB11Show, at QB11SD, at DouglasTS. And we will keep you – we're always on there. We're always tweeting stuff. Sometimes it's entertaining. Sometimes it's informational. Most of the time not. Eh, I don't know. I'd say it's mostly informational uh, or, ed- no. or entertaining. It's one or the other. Sometimes both. Yeah, occasionally. Fair enough. Have a good night, man. All right. I'll talk to you later, Doug.